0: Well, let's turn together to to Luke uh, chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 41 through uh, 51. On this Sunday, the inclement weather, as I've I've prayed, I'm going to preach a sermon this morning that is not the sequel of last Sunday's sermon. I know that was our plan, and we're going to hold and save that for for next week. Lord willing, I'll talk next Sunday about how to uh, make the most of time spent reading the Bible on your own during devotions and, and, and whatnot. But uh, over the last couple of days, this passage has come to my mind a lot, and I'm going to preach from it this morning. So Luke chapter 2, verse 41, scene of Jesus when he was 12 years old. And his parents, Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, And they did, not, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Let's pray together. Father, give us grace now from this passage for us to, to understand where Jesus can always be found. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, if I were to give a title to the sermon, that would be the sermon title where Jesus can always be found. And so my main aim this morning is to encourage you, to encourage you. So many people uh, this week and really for an extended season, honestly, that I've talked to and prayed with, listened to right now, they are discouraged. And that might be the way that you would describe your, your own life. About 10 years ago, I I decided to run a 10K for about three months. I I went online and Googled, you know, training for a 10K and it spit out uh, a schedule. And and for uh, three months, followed this strict schedule of running and incrementally increasing my distance until I was ready for race day. And Julie and I signed up. The race was in New Bern and we got up and, and went to the race and about two thirds of the way through the run. I misread one of the signs had a big arrow and it was pointing to the finish line and um, two thirds into the race, I was doing okay, but, but maybe not my best. And, and I just misinterpreted what the sign was saying. I thought it was pointing as if to say the finish line is right around the corner. I wanted to finish strong. So I started sprinting and I turned the corner and guess what? Finish line was a mile away bad at math, bad at timing, bad at all, you know, I, 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 should, have, I should have known. And I had so accelerated my pace, in this burst, what I call a burst of speed, it was really just probably running at about five mile an hour pace at that point. But, but having used up all my energy, just got discouraged. And honestly started to think, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to drop out. I'm not going to finish. And about that time, Julie, who's, as always, much wiser than me, she came, had kept her pace and said, no, we can do it. We can finish. Let's keep going. Don't quit. Don't, don't drop out. Well, I think kind of collectively as a people, we, we all feel a little bit discouraged. Maybe when it comes to the pandemic, we thought there was a finish line and we were nearing it. And it turns out, no, actually, we're, we're maybe not there yet. And, and the days have, have brought a disruption to our lives, whether it's work, whether it's your finances, whether it's school, and maybe it was going to college and you thought it was going to look like this, and now it looks like that, church life. I mean, these days of disruption can be discouraging. I mean, we can't even get a good snow day at this point, right? I mean, we thought, hey, we're going to sled today. No, you're not. You're just going to go home or stay home, and, and it'll even be 50 degrees by the end of the day. I mean, it's just nothing, nothing seems predictable, right? And again, as I was running that race and as I was huffing and puffing and so discouraged, Julie says, we can finish. She encouraged me. So, so that's what I want to do from God's word is encourage you uh, this, this morning. You're going to help us understand a little bit more about where the finish line is, maybe even help us know what the finish line is. Here's one thing I'm learning in my life. I, I kind of uh, said the finish line for this season is for life to go back the way that it looked like in February 2020. You know what I mean? Like that's when, but friends, there's no guarantees that that's going to happen, is there? So, so what is it that you're hoping in? So, so we've said before, so say again, living as a follower of Jesus in this world is not just running the race at a different pace It's running a different course all together. So so we see in this passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to to 51, two godly people, Joseph, Mary. I mean, they're they're two of my very favorites in all the Bible, right? Praying people, God-centered people, humble people, sacrificial people, worshipful people, that they really needed help from Jesus. Their assumptions are challenged. Their understanding of who Jesus is and what he's come to earth to do is challenged. And, and also, as we read the passage, the character of Jesus is displayed. So we're going to walk through it, and I've got three uh, headings just to kind of organize our thoughts around it. Here are the three headings. Confusion, correction, clarity. That's what we'll get from the passage. Confusion, correction, and Clarity. Confusion comes from the question that Mary asks, Son, why have you treated us so? Now, anytime that um, and, and this, this happens to all of us, again, Joseph and Mary praying, loving, worshipful people, they, they have something happen in their life that in the midst of it, they look at Jesus and say, Why are you treating us like this? And and oftentimes when life doesn't go the way that you think or predict or hope you'll kind of have that rise up in you as well. Why is God allowing this? Why are you treating us like this? Joseph and Mary have gotten to a point where they think Jesus has done them wrong, aren't they? Well, hey, let's, let's also see some really good things about Joseph and Mary from the passage. We know they're not wealthy, We know their means are humble, and we just read that every single year they went up according to the custom. Now, what are they going to do? Verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. So that's probably a 10-day from start to finish uh, uh, trip. But it's important to them. At the time that uh, that this is riding, they, they likely traveled in a caravan with other groups, uh, with, with a whole group of people, other families. Some some people they're related to, and some people that are just their, their friends. So, hey, uh, hey, dads, lead your families in worship. Take the initiative. We're, we're going to be together seeking the Lord together. What what a blessing it is to be a part of a family that worships the Lord together. So dads, be like Joseph, leading and serving and loving your family to worship God. And, and moms, listening like Mary, prioritizing the things of God and her family. And then let's all be like this, this caravan where we're, we're kind of going through life to, together. I'm so thankful for my church family. I'm so thankful that in the last two years, we've been going through some of these things to, together. Because the people that you spend the most time with will have a huge impact on your soul and Joseph and Mary evidently had the blessing of a community of people that are seeking the Lord together hey can we just say something we we need each other we need each other and and this pandemic has strained some communities hasn't it strained some relationships it's likely that you have a pre-pandemic friend that you haven't seen or talked with as much recently either because of schedule or some kind of dis- disagreement has has led you to drift apart and my encouragement to you is grace and compassion always take the initiative even though they don't have it right when Joseph and Mary learn that Jesus is not with the group what do they do now I know I know he's their he's their son you know he, he's he's their child so they're gonna but but listen if ever a moment comes as you're, and I'm speaking metaphorically for a moment, if ever a moment comes that you look around and somebody in your group's not there, you do need to go looking for them. You do need to check on them. You do need to check in with them. There is something about the pandemic that stretched us, right? And, and, and something that I always, uh, it's, the, it's the one original idea I've ever come up with in my life. It's a little statement I give. It goes like this. In the absence of communication, assumptions are made in the absence of communication assumptions are made and what I mean by that is if if you've not really talked with somebody you can begin to assume what they have going on well well, they're not here because if you don't really know you need to check in with them because and and I'm not making this about uh, just showing up in person for services or something like that I'm just talking about all of life I mean somebody going after the Lord seeking the Lord worshiping the Lord sacrificing for the Lord you need to check in with them. And then i just tell you uh, this as a uh, 100% introvert. That kind of thing's not always easy for me. But here's one of the things I've learned. Those who take the initiative to to check in with others will also be people that are checked on by others. Does that make sense? I'm going to haven't seen so-and-so or haven't talked to so-and-so. I'm going to check in with them and see how they're doing. And I know that that Mary and Joseph go back to Jerusalem because Jesus is in their family and, and they were not going to just up and say, well, we don't know where he is. And, but, but I am saying that it is important, especially, especially in these days, that we go looking for one another. Now, this is the time, first time, why, why, uh, why Mary and Joseph are so taken aback in the passage is don't you think this is the first time that Jesus has caused them any trouble? He's always been where they probably thought that he would be he he's always helpful in, in Luke uh, Luke 239 we we get a little bit of a summary of what their life's been like and verse 39 this is right after uh, Jesus is born it says when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him now his parents went to Jerusalem so so that's all the information we get of the first 12 years of Jesus's life hasn't caused any trouble, hasn't caused any worry, and, and then this ha- incident happens. And, and one of the reasons, don't you think, that it took a whole day from leaving Jerusalem before Mary and Joseph realized Jesus wasn't with him is because he had never caused any trouble. They just were like, well, he's, he's here and doing something helpful, probably, you know. And then verse 45, just think about how stressful this would have been. Verse 44 and 45, supposing him... Assuming him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Stressful, isn't it? Can't you feel the heart rate and the blood pressure rising? Oh, maybe he's with so and so. No, maybe he's with so and so. They kept checking, 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 go down the line. They start with the relatives and they go to the acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. Searching for him had gone a day out of Jerusalem. It takes a day to get back to Jerusalem and then they spend a day in Jerusalem. Stressful, isn't it? And then we get this little glimpse of Jesus at 12 years old. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who were amazed at this understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. So from this one little glimpse of Jesus. You know, anytime we read the Bible and study, we always ask, hey, what does this passage teach us about God? It's one of the good Bible study questions to ask. So here's a couple of things. Jesus listens. Smartest man in the room, and he listens. He's not abrupt. He's not harsh. He doesn't go in there and say, man, y'all don't know anything that you're talking about. Listen to me. He listens have you ever been around someone who thinks they know all the answers and they never listen? Here's, here's the irony. Jesus knows all the answers and he listens. He doesn't cut them off mid-sentence. He doesn't belittle them. He does not dominate the conversation. He does not ridicule them. He listens. It says that. He was sitting among the t- teachers. In fact, the first thing it says about him is he's listening to them and and then it says he asks them questions do you know God asks questions first thing God does after the fall is he asks a question where are you when Elijah's hiding in the cave what are you doing where you are uh, um, one of the great blessings of reading the Bible regularly and having devotions is is uh is God asks good questions how many times have you sat in a classroom and the teacher finishes and says uh, all right who's got a question and nobody raises a hand, right? In fact, I used to sit in class and say, please, nobody raise their hand so we can leave, right? Well, Jesus asks questions. He listens. He asks questions. And then we're told He has understanding and He has answers. Now, one of the ways that, that you'll get understanding and answers from Jesus is if you listen to Him. Amen? But he's 12 years old. This is like a 12-year-old beating Steph Curry in basketball or a 12-year-old correcting Albert Einstein on a science project. He's just 12 years old. He's in Jerusalem. These are the the most significant teachers of the things of God. And he listens and he asks questions. He's patient. But the effect on Joseph and Mary in verse 48, they're astonished. And she says, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Distress. Three days of worry, three days of fear, three days of where is my son, three days of what has happened to him, three days of has he been robbed, three days of has he been killed. I mean, parents' minds, when they can't find their children, go to dark places pretty fast, don't they? But we're actually going to talk about this a little bit later on, is all of Mary's fears of what would happen, could have happened to Jesus, are things that are going to happen to Jesus. He is going to be stripped. He is going to be betrayed. He is going to be crucified. And all of that's going to happen because of what he says. I'm about some things. There's some things I must do. This is a hard lesson for for us who are parents. Get worried about uh, what, what is it that Mary wants? What is it that Mary most likely wants for her child? What has she been worried about? He is not... Every parent can answer this what? Safe. He's not safe. I want him to go back with me to Nazareth in our little home, and he stay there and be safe. Now, quick question, is that a biblical mindset for a parent? Keep my child, the priority being safe. Well, the Bible actually says that uh, children are like arrows in the hands of the parents and that you fire them out there. Yeah, but, but it's hard, isn't it? And some of the hardest things, some of them in our church family, I mean, I've talked to you, I love you, and it's hard when your child grows up and is sent out. Man, that's tough. We want to protect our children. Uh, some of you going through it right now, you know, I was teasing Julie the other night, you know, you, you could always, when you're on the verge of your first child is nearing departure from your home and you just have another baby, start all over, right? Call that the Brandon and Julie D's plan. Mary, what we have learned of her so far, she's held baby Jesus. She's rocked him. She's treasured. Simeon's come along, man, eight days old, says, sword's going to pierce your soul, Mary. Now, there's a way that's, of course, specific to Mary. But there is a way that that's what every parent encounters, right? A sword pierces your, your soul, and they are in great distress. One of the things this passage teaches us is: uh, this is tough. Following Jesus is not about Him adopting your plans, expectations, and agenda and blessing them. Following Jesus is about understanding His purpose and plan and joining Him. Does that make sense? Because if you do it the other way around, here's what'll be end up being true of your life: great distress. Great concern. Why is this happening? So I'll say it again. Following Jesus, this is where the confusion comes. This is why people get confused. Following Jesus is not about you having a set of expectations and mission and purpose for God to fulfill and bless. Following Jesus is about there are some things he must do, and you are going to join him in doing that. That's the confusion. Second heading was correction. That's where the correction is going to come. And oftentimes the questions God asks in Scripture are questions of correction. He said to them, why were you looking for me? That's a great question, isn't it? Uh, on first reading, you just said, well that's, well, that's a simple question. But it's actually a pretty profound question, isn't it? When you go... Seeking and searching and looking for God. Why are you looking for Him? These are the very first words spoken by Jesus in the Gospels. It's his first words. And I think um, all of His words matter, but here is His first words: Why are you looking for Me? That's probably the first question anybody who uh, is interested in Jesus needs to ask, or, or I'm sorry, not to, to be asked. Why? Are, what are you looking for? He, he asked that other times, you know, to, to, the, to the disciples. What, what, what are you looking for? There, there is a, um, we're talking about this Wednesday night at prayer meeting, uh, there, there, there is a current, that's the right way of saying it, throughout the Gospels uh, of this matter that by and large the reason people rejected Jesus is it became very clear that he had not arrived to be the Messiah they thought he should be. I yeah, mean, it gets really confusing in life when God doesn't turn out to be who you think he should be. But I want to caution you and say, he's always better than whatever you would surmise him to be. He's better. So here's the correction. Why were you looking for me? Again, the, the greatest desire of a parent, often for their child, is for them to be, to be saved, to be successful, to be happy. But I will tell you, there's no safer place to be than in the will of God. And what's success could possibly matter if it's not unto the Lord? What would it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? So, so may we as a church be a place where our greatest hope for our children is that they be holy. In verse 49, he, he, uh, he asks another question. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house. So your translation rightly uh, likely either says one of two things the way I just read it. Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Or I mean, maybe your translation says, uh, did you not know I must be about my father's business? Now, that's strange, right? Why would it be one or the other? Or, or why, why those two ways of saying it? They don't seem to be saying the same thing. But if we understand the context uh, of those days, uh, a son would do what his father did. So if the dad was a carpenter, I mean, just to use an example from Jesus's life, Joseph was a carpenter, it was assumed that Jesus would then be a carpenter. Where did most people do their business? At their house. And so there was your identity was uh, what you do and where you live. They're the same. I think I read the other day before the pandemic, one in 67 jobs was remote. Now it's one in seven. So more people are working from home and that's how it was done then. So when Jesus says, uh, uh, if your translation says either I must be about my father's business or I must be in my father's house, they they are saying the same thing. Jesus is in essence saying, I must be about what my father is doing. What I see him do, I'm going to do. Now, here's a good Bible study question. What is the father doing? Hold your spot there in Luke 2. And let's turn over to John 3. Another time Jesus is listening, asking questions to a teacher. His name in this case is Nicodemus. What is the Father doing? I do call your attention to the fact that Jesus does not say, I should be about my Father's business. I could be, I might be, he says, I must. That's the word he used. I must. So here's what the father's doing. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's not going to come about by Jesus going back to Nazareth, staying in safe Galilee. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people of the darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. What is God doing? He's reconciling the world to himself. And nobody's going to be able to stop Jesus from doing it. Not the religious leaders with their questions. Not Mad King Herod with his uh, violence. Not corrupt Pilate, not doubting disciples with their misunderstanding of his mission, and not even his own mom with her expectations. There was confusion. There was correction. And then there's clarity. Luke two fifty. They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. That doesn't sound like clarity, does it? <laughs> that doesn't sound like clarity. Jesus has offered clarity. If God ever feels far away, if you ever in a time of life where you say, he just, he just seems a million miles away, invest your life, invest your time, invest your attention in the Father's business, Right? If, if the Father's house, if the Father's ways, if the Father is seeking to reconcile sinners to himself, that's what you have to join in doing. It wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have been right, for example, for Joseph and Mary to go back to Galilee. and They could have gone on every square inch of Nazareth, looked under every rock in Nazareth, and never found Jesus. And they could have concluded, he doesn't care about me. He, he, uh, he, he's treated us. They could have stayed in great distress. Most of our fear and anxiety and great distress is based on wrong information about God and wrong understanding of Jesus. Much of their distress is perpetuated on the basis of false expectations of God. So again, say it, say it again because I need to hear it over and over. God's business is not blessing your plans and expectations. Your business is understanding God's purpose and plan and joining him in it. So metaphorically speaking, Sometimes in life you have to turn back around and go to Jerusalem and be about what Jesus is doing. Well, I told you that there were three C's: there was confusion, there was uh, correction, there was clarity, and I've got one more C, and that is the that is the cross. So again, what what seems to be the case is Joseph and Mary just want Jesus to come back to uh, Galilee. Uh, he does do that, by the way, according to verse 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Uh, and, and the next time we really see Jesus in Luke's gospel, look at Luke 3, 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Who's good at math? He was 12, now he's 30, so that's how much time? 18 years. That's a pretty good chunk of time. What do we know about those 18 years? Not a lot. But we do know that he was submissive to his parents and so uh, one thing i'd say to every child that's listening one of the godliest things you can do is be submissive to to your parents one of the most christ-like things to do right but after the 30 years when jesus begins his ministry to reiterate a point we already had what do you think mary was afraid of in those three days when she couldn't find him where is he what's happened to him has been hurt has he been killed those are the things that happen to Jesus and and if you think about it they happen not all that far from where Mary and Joseph and Jesus are standing in the temple that day he's listening he's asking questions understanding what does he understand Zoom out a little bit further with me. When was it that they went to Jerusalem, this caravan of people? You remember from the first verse we read? It was during the Passover feast, right? During Passover. So Jesus, 12 years old, is coming with his family. They've done this multiple times before. You know, 11, 12 times before, and then Jesus joined. And and what we understand from Scripture is Jesus, he is the Passover lamb. And so so they're in the temple, and there's 12-year-old Jesus, his Family is in great distress looking for him. It's not a coincidence. I don't think that it was three days that they were looking for him. That's got clear uh, connotation for the three days that are to come at the cross, between the cross and the, the resurrection. And while they were in great distress, Jesus was not. In fact, in all the Bible, in all the Gospels, there's only one time that's ever said that Jesus is in great distress. Do you know what it is? It's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified, and he's praying with the Father. Peter and James and John, they were going to pray with him, fell asleep. And then he agonizes and he prays. In fact, one of the gospel writers records is he was agonizing so much he began to, to sweat drops of blood. That's how intense the agony was. And he cried out. To his Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Friends, it's worth saying there is no other way for you to be reconciled to God the Father except through Christ the Son. It is only the blood of Jesus that pardons, covers, and forgives us of our sin. So, so uh, that moment of great distress is resolved when the Father's silence answers his request. There is no other way. And then Jesus goes and experiences all the things that Mary, at this point when he's 12, was fearful would happen. And she's there, and she sees it. She's at the cross, and he's robbed and beaten, stripped bare, crucified. He is about the Father's business. Um, Last thing, just to note, and and it's... When he's 12, he has a conversation in the temple. And uh, I certainly don't want to add to, to Scripture or anything like that, but, um, you know, the, the, when he's crucified, that curtain in that temple is torn. And the message for you is you don't have to go to Jerusalem to find Jesus. He's, he's knocked down every barrier that there is. He is the temple. The, the, the dwelling place of God is with man. And uh, the, the business of God, back to this matter of is it his business, his father's business, or his father's house? The father's business has been that you will be in the father's house. And Christ has seen to it. You will always find Jesus about his father's business reconciling sinners to himself so conclusion do not be discouraged do not be greatly distressed following Jesus is not about getting him to adopt accept and be about your business it is about you joining him in his this is where Jesus can always be found let's stand together and we'll pray together. And uh, in Christ alone that we'll sing together. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you that there are times in my life that I am distressed, I'm fearful, if not just angry, that, that you seem far away, you seem distant, you seem removed. I'm thankful for a passage that we've been able, like the one we studied this morning, because I'm often reminded that almost every single time in my life that I am distressed, fearful, angry, idle, lukewarm. It's often because, in a manner of speaking, I'm in Nazareth saying, where are you? I'm about my business saying, why aren't you uh, blessing what I'm doing? I'm thankful that in the scripture we can see that there is a place where Jesus can always be found. And whether that was listening in the temple, healing the blind, raising the dead, and especially on the cross and out of the tomb, Jesus must be about his father's business, which is reconciling sinners to himself. So give us grace to be a church that joins in what you are doing in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm.